Hello, welcome to another episode of the DC Comics News Podcast, issue 51 in fact, so we're making our way towards the century, the 100, we've done the half century and we're working our way towards 100. With me this week we have Brad, good evening Brad. Good evening. How are you today sir? I'm doing good, how are you doing? Okay, I'll be great if that fire truck doesn't come back around, but we'll yeah. talk more about that later. And we also have the soothing tones of Seth Singleton. Seth, how are you, my friend? I'm here to offer my soothing, soothing. Apparently, I'm feeling very soothing. I'm oh, doing well, thank you. How are you, my friend? I could be a lot worse, so I'm going to concentrate on the fact that I'm not, and I'm pretty darn good, sir. Thank you very much indeed. And it's uh, holiday season, so let's celebrate with some news. And first of all, we have breaking news. And the news is astonishing indeed. For fans of the Superman movies of 79 to the mid-80s and Christopher Reeve, to some still the epitome of the Man of Steel, amazing news. Um, His cloak, his cape that he wore in the films, has broken um, all records for a cape sold in auction, uh, fetching almost $200,000, $193,750 paid for christopher reeve's cape that's a lot of moolah uh brad what do you make of this astounding story i'm not surprised i think if anybody deserves it it's definitely christopher reeves uh you know both the the way he portrayed the character uh and him on a personal level outside of celebrity were such Big examples of heroism for so many people. I mean, he defined Superman for a generation, if not more, people. He so left his mark on that character. Uh, Probably, I mean, obviously more than any actor that ever played the role. Uh, And given what happened to him later in his life and how he rose to be such a hero with all he had to deal with, I think it's very fitting and not surprising that... uh, one of his capes would go for so much. And the movie it's, itself are pretty iconic. So, yeah, it's not surprising at all. Uh, uh, I'd be kind of bummed if it didn't break records, to be honest. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, I think this is a great story. I, I love hearing about how there are these little pieces of memorabilia that become so iconic because of who wore them and what they portrayed. And the thing that really sticks out for me is what you were saying about who Christopher Reeve was as the man who embodied that first visual experience for a lot of people of of Superman in this feature film. As they said, you'll believe a man can fly. And there was something so wondrous about it. There was such a beautiful quality to it that beyond the films, then you had this amazing man who, as you mentioned, suffered tragedy later in life wouldn't let it define him and went on to be such a motivating figure until his final days that I still believed if he kind of stood up from that chair and flew at any given moment, I would not be surprised. I believed he had that force of will, that amazing presence. So I love the recognition that this says. I love the fact that it was, you know, almost $200,000 and that... Really, whoever spent that much money 
is demonstrating, I hope, the amount of care and love that we were just celebrating about this character in hearing about this news. Steve, tell me uh, what your take was. My friend. Exactly the same. You both said it so perfectly. The man wasn't just an actor who played a hero. He was a hero. The tragedy that befell him after that heartbreaking accident, which left him confined to a wheelchair, did not slow him down. His work for charity, his work for people in similar situations and everything he did, he still carried on acting. He appeared in Smallville. Um, he was an inspiration to so many. And like you said, Brad, he it's more than just a generation because I know people who are 10, 15 years younger than me who his particularly first two Superman movies still to them define what Superman should be um, in every which way, shape or form. And if you look at things like Doomsday Clock and Gary Frank's uh, version of Superman, which many have called the greatest since Kurt Swan, um, and I'd find that hard to argue, he's clearly uh, drawing on Christopher Reeve's likeness. And let's remember also, in the recent news with the crisis on infinite earths brandon routh is as close to christopher reeve as we'll ever get and that's who he's based on and that's who he literally personifies when he puts on that costume and it's brilliant seeing him in the red and blue again because to me he is still a great and very very underrated superman so yeah christopher reeve's cape has gone to someone who clearly respects the man and his work as much as we do so i hope he's going to a good home i hope it doesn't get wrecked or resold or anything like that and it's uh maybe put into a display case where people from all around the world who love christopher reeves superman can can go see it um brilliant uh, anything else you want to add to that no. actually just one thing if you don't mind is the fact that you brought up crisis on infinite earths now when they first introduced him as Christopher Reeve, what I loved was hearing the original theme music from the movie, the moment yes. he first yes. met Lois. Yes. And that, to me, really signified uh, a tradition that, that later was, was shown throughout the other moments in uh, all three episodes. But, and I'm sure it's going to continue uh, you know, into the fourth and fifth, but that recognition of the history there and also who they were trying to say that Brandon Routh in this moment was embodying. And that was a huge honor to give him that music when he suddenly straightened up just a little bit, but then also slipped really quickly into his great Clark Kent. I mean, really touching moments. And to hear that music in the background, I thought to myself, wow, you really have to be a character of quality. You have to be a person of that kind of character in order to get that sort of recognition. Because there's something very personal about that music and Christopher Reeve. And I was really just touched by it. And it sounds like when I described it right then and you both heard it said, yeah, that you might agree with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, it was just so lovely. And it was such a, a recognition of the fact that there was a reason and there still is a reason, as Steve, you, you rightly pointed out, why so many people considered that to be Superman. They think of Superman. It's that, you know, first appearance of Christopher Reeve in the suit, especially in those first two movies, and and making such a powerful impression on us that it, it's something a, a lot of people are going to struggle to live up to. But to give that recognition to someone like Brandon Routh, I, I thought it was extremely well deserved, and something I look forward to talking uh, a little bit more about as we get into our stories today. I totally agree. You were going to say something as well, Brad? Oh no, I was just agreeing. 
uh, just agreeing with both of you. I think that, um, yeah, I think that uh, we covered a lot. And I like that you said that even more than generations, because really you could trace the, the superhero kind of renaissance that's been going on for so long now. Uh, I kind of trace it back to two things, and it's Christopher Reeve's Superman and the first Batman Tim Burton movie. Those are the things that got the ball rolling to where we are as far as superhero in film. And there's just, we just owe so much to that as fans. Yeah. The the hive mind is definitely working in the again. Those are the two. Absolutely. Christopher Eve, Superman and Michael Keaton as Batman were the ones that listen, if we didn't have those films, Nothing that exists today from the Marvel movies to Joker to Suicide Squad and where else everything between even Watchmen exist. Oh, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, yeah. Completely. Totally. Uh, but I will say as well, um, while we are definitely all Christopher Reeve fans, I don't want to take anything away from Henry Cavill because I think his Superman is extremely valid, mm-hmm. extremely underrated. And I may be one of the few who loved him in all three films regarding whether regardless rather of, of how well received or how badly interfered with justice league was, I do think Henry Cavill was, was great. And I do want to see more of him, but Christopher Reeve is a legend. Um, and like we said, he's the person most people think of when they think of Superman and, and for many very valid reasons. Steve, look to your left, look to your right. You're not alone, my friend. I'm right there next to you. And Henry Cavill moved me in, in man of steel. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. He really sort of spoke to me in uh, Batman versus Superman and that opening scene in Justice League with the kids asking him what's his favorite thing. And that moment, that look on his face, man, I mean, quality acting is when an actor can show you what they're thinking without saying a word. And I was so moved in that moment that my breath caught in my chest. I just caught myself going, oh, man. Wow, yeah, that's really just lovely. And yeah, <laughs> so you're 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 not alone, my friend. I I really I really admired everything he did in all of his performances. Man of Steel made me cry. First time I watched it, broke my heart. Just broke my heart. And when I read later that when he watched it, he cried as well. I was really touched by that. I it really said a lot to me about who he is and and what he brings when he's on the screen. I feel it's a very honest very raw vulnerable portrayal brad i know you were adding into my yeah i was just saying that you know i that i would i'm an apologist for those three movies more than most people uh i give them a little more credit than most people do and and a big reason why that is is because of his portrayal of superman Uh, he did bring a lot of heart and it's just one of those things too that and i've said this before but when the actor playing the character loves the character and understands the character it shows and is so important and i think with uh with him and christopher reeves it it really does it really does make a difference rather well said i couldn't agree more again um you guys are my brothers <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what yeah. a lot of people may not know is that uh, the original superman movies and uh, tim burton's original batman movie were mainly filmed where I come from in the UK. I and mean, it was a lovely surprise learning from Mark Guggenheim that I actually am British. I'm so glad that someone pointed that out to me. And Cardington Sheds, a legendary filming location, which also served as the rebel base in Star Wars and Rogue One, uh, is being used for Matt Reeves' The Batman. And this is 
brilliant news and it'll bring a lot of work and uh, uh, efforts and eyes on, on back into the UK film scene and it's a fantastic location um, if anyone ever comes to the UK and they can get up there it's stunning it's like basically like two air aircraft hangars two like the huge grain silos you have in the in the midwest in the u.s where they're going to film the batman so brad what did you make of this news yeah I, and i, I kind of like that they're kind of in a certain ways bringing it full circle in that some of batman um the the nolan batman movies were filmed there uh so uh, that's i i found that kind of interesting um, and uh, I'm just glad that we're getting more news from this movie, that it's getting closer and closer to starting production. You know, they got the cast and it's incredible. Now they're doing locations and getting things ready to go. So I can't wait till it's kind of full speed ahead on this production. I can't I'm 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 excited for this because uh, that cast alone is makes me want to see this movie. And, uh, you know, I just I just love that the, the production's coming along. Seth, what do you think? Couldn't agree more about the uh, excitement, anticipation that comes with news like this. It just sort of, it it adds to the, the level of expectation. And I also love these sheds because, my goodness, they're ginormous. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. It, it reminds me of when someone brings a cake to, like, a, a potluck, and they keep it under one of those covers, you know there's something good in there, but you don't know what it is. But by the size of it, you start to, you know, get a, a picture in your mind. And I'm sure we've all had a couple of iconic scenes from Batman that, that come to mind when we think about what would be so great to see on screen. And until they lift that shed, it's uh, kind of like Schrodinger's cat. It either is or isn't. And even once it's lifted, it's still going to be this really yummy treat. Steve, how about you, my friend? Absolutely. And like you said, these things are huge. Um, or as we say in, in the UK, massive. Um, if I, well, Britain's famous for having a shed in virtually every back garden or every backyard. If I had one of those sheds in my backyard, I would no longer have a backyard or a house or half the street, possibly even half the little town I live in. So, wowza. The fact that, as it says in the story, they're building a cathedral inside shed number one. Wowza. Yep, things are happening. Things are moving. I've actually heard rumours that filming has actually begun. They did state a winter 2019 uh, start for filming for photography. I have heard rumours that they have actually begun. So we'll wait and see. As you said, Brad, dead excited because um, I don't know if you guys know this, that not only am I British, I like Batman. But uh, enough about me. Let's move on to the next story, which again, <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> can I tell you? I'm not. I'm laughing. That's always a good thing. <laughs> We go from one of the greats, and we've already talked about Superman on this show and what he means, but uh, the next Superman movie is animated, and it's an adaptation of the brilliant Elseworlds story, Red Sun. And not only have we seen uh, a trailer, we now know exactly when the movie is coming out, both digitally and for home release on Blu-ray and DVD. Brad, what do you make of this news? 
this was one of my favorite Elseworld uh, Elseworld stories. So I'm I'm glad that it's getting uh, uh, adapted. It really deserves an adaptation, especially with these these great DC uh, animated movies. They're taking all this great source material and and bringing it to the you know the small screen. And I'm so glad that this was one of them. Uh, and it'll be a good way to kind of ease out the winter because I think that it comes the digital is in the end of February and the Blu-ray comes out in the middle of March. So it's a good way to kind of get started thinking about spring with the new uh, Superman movie. And the story's so interesting. Uh, and I, I, if the word of mouth can spread enough, I think that this can bring a lot more people to uh, to the book. And that's and that's a good thing. Seth? What do you think? I love hearing about these Elseworld stories coming to life, especially when they're animated. I think it's such a rich, fertile place to find amazing stories. I remember my earliest experiences with Elseworlds just showed me how much I depended, at least at that time, on the comic framework that I understood and the world that these characters were born into. And with each Elseworlds, I began to consider just a little bit more how these variables were so important as they're illustrated in these stories. And this example of Red Sun is so perfect by taking something as simple as where the ship lands and what ideal shape the most powerful figure in the universe potentially it creates just so many great opportunities to see other elements from, uh, you know, the, the Green Lantern Corps to everything else that we get these great teasers from the trailer. I love that the uh, release date is the 25th, just enough time away from Valentine's where you can make sure you get your sweetie something and then get yourself something <laughs> else a few weeks, you know, or days later. And, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing this sinking in a little bit and then doing my favorite part, which is at some point adding it to that group where I'm like, ah, time to watch one of these again. Let's see what I catch new this time around. So I'm pretty sure it'll be in my collection not long after it's out. How about you, Steve? It's like you both so perfectly said one of those brilliant Elseworld stories where it's not just someone else being Superman or Superman getting the ring or him crashing in Gotham and being raised by the, the Waynes rather than the Kents. This is what if Superman had landed somewhere other than Smallville, Kansas, and you can't get as far other than Russia during uh, the beginning of the Cold War and, and everything that goes with it. It's a fascinating story. I hope it's well adapted because um, like so this is one of those stories that, that was crying out for an adaptation uh, in animation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And Yeah, totally. And the last uh, Elseworld story we got, Gotham by Gaslight, they changed quite a bit, but for the right reasons, I think. Um, there's so much Joker out there that changing the identity of uh, Jack the Ripper for that film was warranted, I think, and it was a huge surprise. So if they make a couple of changes like that to maybe update it and change it, I can live with it. As long as they don't go the way they did with Hush, which I was very disappointed by, but that wasn't Elseworld. That's main canon. So maybe they, they felt they had to do it for that, but I'm looking forward to this. And like I said, yeah, this will, will uh, more than likely be joining my collection. If only it was released a week earlier, though, on March 10th, in time for my 50th birthday. But hey, I'll just have to 
treat myself to a late birthday present, I think. That's that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, you deserve it. <laughs> there it is. I agree. And, uh, you know, your justification is the best justification you're ever going to hear. I mean, seeing that trailer, um, guys, please um, let me know your thoughts on it. All the Green Lanterns, like you said, uh, the Batman, the stellar cast, actually. I mean, seeing Jason Isaacs, uh, Lucius Malfoy, of all people, as Superman, is going to be an interesting thing. And uh, his uh, intonation, his, his acting is, is n- in no question. But to see him as Superman, something that's quite surprising. What did you guys make of the trailer, Brad? Yeah, I... I love seeing the lanterns and the take on Wonder Woman and Batman. Um, yeah, it just it brought kind of the book back to me in a way because it's been a while since I read it. And uh, it's kind of funny because the trailer kind of made me say, OK, don't reread it. Kind of go into this movie a little fresh. Uh, that's exactly I, how I felt. Yeah. And I think that that's saying something for what the film looks like as it, you know, in the trailer that uh, I'm kind of interested to just take it kind of as is and not delve back into the source material quite yet. And I was really interested that um, Amy Acker is doing uh, Lois Lane. I've always been a fan of her since the, her days as Fred on Angel. So I've always been a fan of her. So I like that she's going to be involved. Uh, Seth, what'd you think? It's really hard to follow you up, Brad. I mean, when you tap into the hive mind like that, the rest of us just end up sort of doing this echo thing. Yes, Amy Acker, uh, lover from the days of Angel. Uh, Yes, I'm also intrigued, Mr. Steve, with the idea of Jason Isaacs uh, portraying Superman. However, I've been really impressed with the voice actors who have taken on some of these characters where I thought to myself, that seems like a strange fit. And then as soon as it starts and there are about 10 or 15 words in the dialogue, I'm like, all right, I'm in. I bought it. I just bought it. <laughs> um, the rest of the cast looks really quite stunning. Um, I love the take on Wonder Woman. I, I love the I love the dynamic that's set up that's so different from, you know, when Clark Kent from Smallville met Princess Diana to uh, the Red Sun. And his identity interacting with Diana. Love the the Green Lantern core. There's just something great about that. Lanterns form up. It felt so uh, <laughs> it felt so classic, and yet at the same time, it had all these great blends of like a dogfight experience, which seems to really suit the take with the leather jackets and the uh, you know the caps and the goggles. Like there was so much about that that felt so carefully thought out. Um, there was just a lot of really pleasant moments. And I think as Brad pointed out, it really reminded me of things where I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if I would have remembered that without seeing this moment from the trailer. I wonder if I should go back or if I should just watch this clean. And that was really intriguing as well, because there is that, that toss up. Do you want to go and and get, you know, prepared, but will that change the way you view it if they take whatever creative licensing they need to in order to adapt it to the time they've got? Can create some disappointments or do you go in fresh and experience it and then go back and reread it for a deeper feeling like you do anytime you see a good book made into a movie and you, you know they left stuff out. You just don't want to dwell. Steve, how are you going to handle this? I, I totally agree with both of you. Cause, and thinking back now, I said that I didn't enjoy Hush. I do remember actually that I did actually reread Hush 
moments, well, not moments, a couple of weeks before the movie came out. So it was really, really fresh in my mind, everything I loved about it. And it started off so promisingly and virtually ripped off the pages. But it's just that ending and changing who Hush was. Why bother introducing Tommy Elliott in the first place? And that's what let me down. Whereas Gotham by Gaslight, I watched the movie and then afterwards I was inspired to reread the graphic novel and I appreciated the changes that were made. So, yeah, with this one, I think I'll follow Brad's advice, see the film and then read it rather than the other way around. Um, and what you said about the flight jackets as well, that, that, was, that was class. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that's what I was thinking, too, because Hal Jordan, famous as, as a test pilot, but flying without the planes, but still in formation, just wearing the jackets. I just thought it was a really, really cool touch and something that makes me look forward to the film even more. Definitely. So we're going to have to come up with a name for this. Because if Brad's way catches on, we're, we're going to want to talk about the fact that, you know, he was kind of inspirational in this moment. I, I don't know if it's the Flicky film method, but, you know, we need to think of something. <laughs> I, listen, he is cutting edge. He is leading the way. He is a man on with his finger firmly on the pulse of not just films <laughs> and books and how they should read, but superhero fashion and everything that goes with uh, it. We bow, down, <laughs> we bow down to the fire of the Philippi. Ah, come on. <laughs> Nothing you can do, my friend. It's, it's like you've got the big mo, the big momentum. You know, write it, you know. <laughs> Your own no. success. That's what yeah. You're the zeitgeist. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and we will round off the movie news this week, uh, moving on to a couple of stories regarding um, the emancipation of Harley Quinn as she joins the other Birds of Prey. We've had a couple of great stories come out, including some brilliant new images from movie magazines and some great posters and the news that it will be receiving an R rating due to the action in the film. Brad, what do you make of these stories? I I am glad that it's getting an R rating. Uh, I think that how they have it marketed or what the film so far is looking like, it needs an R rating. It uh, definitely has an edge to it that I don't want to see tapered off by having to appease censors to get a PG-13 rating. Um, and I really want to see uh, Ewan McGregor be able to really have fun with that role because I just can't, I can't wait to see him as black mask. So I think with an R rating, he'll have a little more, a little more freedom. And, um, you know, and, and the other article mentioned kind of the, the sequel thing. It's not really a sequel or is it, or isn't, I think it can be seen as just a, a separate story, but in a shared universe. Um, I don't think you have to bring too much baggage from the other films, and I'm kind of glad that you don't have to. Uh, I kind of like the idea of a fresh palette going into the Harley Quinn movie. Um, really, you kind of don't want Harley tied down by anything. It is the emancipation of one Harley Quinn, after all. So don't want her tied down to anything that's kind of come before, if we can help it. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Yeah, and well said, Brad. I I completely agree with the the freedom that's given within our rating because our rating can provide a lot of opportunity for realistic depiction that's important for the story. 
without requiring any sort of unnecessary gratuity in or gratuitous actions in any other areas just to compensate for the fact that the R rating is there. It can address adult matter, address adult topics, use adult language, and maybe have one or two intense scenes that are best reserved for adult audiences and still tell a great story without the, the R rating, meaning that it's not accessible. It's just not accessible for audiences that aren't mature enough to see it. And for those who are, they deserve a great story. We deserve, as Brad pointed out, the, uh, the chance to see the emancipation of Harley and the things that will lead to that. Some of them will probably have to be adult-related or adult-themed. And also the freedom to see just how threatening to her and her team Black Mask can be because there has to be a certain degree of realistic adult-level danger in order for it to feel like it's being presented authentically. So all these things speak to a lot of great reasons why this is a good decision. Plus, I mean, come on, going all the way back to Rosie Perez from her earliest days, you just really shouldn't censor, you know, such a gifted, talented voice like that. She's got as much potential and so does the rest of the cast. I think they all deserve a chance to shine. Through an R rating, they're going to be given the freedom to do so. How about you, Steve? I completely agree, gents. Um, you've known from the start, of, we, we've been working together a while now, that I, I really despise censorship in any form. And obviously, there are many people who think, oh, hang on, listen, this is a comic book movie, shouldn't be, be for everybody. But there are some aspects, particularly with DC, where no, they shouldn't. They've got comics uh, for every rage age range and variety and movies should do the same there are plenty of family related characters i mean aquaman was a great family movie even with the uh, violence and the scariness of, of the trench kids love that stuff same with shazam um but we've proven now with movies like marvel's deadpool with blade back in the day which was r-rated and now with joker that there is a market for an r-rating um comic book movie and it's amazing how times change because back in the day, uh, giving a movie an R rating, particularly a comic book movie, would be the kiss of death. And people think, well, that's it. They destroyed half their audience. No one's going to see this. Well, to those people, I say, uh, billion bucks, buddy, Joker movie. I rest my case. Um, all, more power to the filmmakers. Um, let them yeah. tell story they want to tell without restrictions, without being tied up. And that that's all I have to say about that, really. Right. You know, Steve, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but over here in the States, if you go into a comic shop, you are going to be surrounded most likely by adults, not kids going in to buy comics. Exactly the same. So, so why not cater to that audience that has kind of, um, you know, grown up, you know, and... So, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to see R-rated superhero movies, for sure. What about you, Seth? I think there's a huge gift to it. Um, you know, when you mentioned Deadpool, it was funny at that moment. I suddenly just recalled, and I hadn't while reading this article, how powerful Logan was to me. That was an opportunity to tell an amazing Fantastic. Western that didn't have to be set in any timeline connected to any other movie except for references to characters that are known as part of the, 
the comic book characters universe. And even those were not the same as you might anticipate if you were a fan of, of the comics. And yet what a powerful story that was able to be told. I completely think just looking at those examples, Joker also now recently, if we gave him the freedom in our, our rated film, why can't we give the emancipation of Harley a, a film that's supposed to be about freedom, <laughs> the same sort of value. And if we're going to do that, well, let's let her tell her story with the same degree of authenticity. It's not going to have the same tone as Joker did, but it's also going to take advantage of that rating and give us a well-informed story that I think as fans and also fans who would like to see just how broad her appeal can really become, this is one of the best ways to do it. I'm excited for it. Uh, I, I suddenly thought of it and saw it through that lens and thought to myself, you know, the best part is it can be 100% Harley Quinn's tone with that experience of sort of friction and understanding that comes from the interaction of all the other members of the Birds of Prey and take full advantage of that R rating with a quality that's completely different and yet completely identifiable with the character and be one of those things that we're talking about 20 or 30 years from now, the way we were about Christopher Reeve's performance in Superman. So I think it's a great stage and it's a perfect place for amazing actors to perform. Kind of got out of soapbox there. What'd you do, Steve? You just offered it back to me and I just... Oh. <laughs> That's what we're here for. This is a show where people of a like mind converse about the news that interests all of them. And with the Birds of Prey thing as well, um, I noticed that the article we're looking at is some of the images from um, the film magazines, but they've also been some beautiful uh, posters released in a lovely um, artistic style, which really, really spoke to me with all the different characters. And photos that you can actually merge together to make one giant poster as well. And some of these images are just gorgeous that are coming out of this film. Um, have you guys seen all of those? What did you make of them, Brad? Yeah, uh, I, I dug them a lot. Um, like I said, there's something about the colors and the whole tones that it, it's all working so to get that so well together. And those, those posters were the same, the same for sure. I just yeah. love the, the attitude of it. Yeah, to echo you there, Brad, I uh, love the tone, love the colors, you know, love the, the feeling of it, love those early posters that we saw. It was like last episode, the episode before, um, where we got a chance to see sort of each character framed. And again, I think when we were talking about those then, there's so much that if you're paying attention to, you can take away from these photos, what they're telling you about the dress, about the mannerisms. Uh, and I also love this moment where she's, uh, in one of the images just on this link that we were looking at, she's looking through the bars. And as she is, I reminded of that moment, at least in one, maybe all of the trailers, where she's talking directly to the camera, it feels. She's breaking that fourth wall. She's having a dialogue with the audience. And that's going to be a huge factor as well, because I think she's going to have to, you know, talk to us a little bit, walk us through it. And sometimes that's going to be stepping away from a scene to let us know, what it is, we might not know. What's going to better inform us? I love these pictures reminding me of those moments and also setting me up for other great stuff. Uh, the, the cover shot is great with that <laughs> with that chair. I swear I've seen it at least 10 of my friends' houses. Um, 
and uh, <laughs> everyone posed around it and all the other things leading up to it. It's It's been really smart choices. I've really been impressed with their decisions. Hey, listen, that, that better not be Harley's uh, chair because people who steal from Harley will often get hammered. Sorry, <laughs> I can't believe I went there. <laughs> and on that note, uh, that's the end of the movie news. So we're going to take a quick break and make sure that we're not left out in the cold and pay some bills so that the rents can be handled and we can all come back and comfortably make more shows for everyone listening out there. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. And yes, here we are again with episode 51 of the DC Comics News Podcast with Seth, Brad, and yours truly, Steve Pennyworth, uh, Steve Ray. And now we're going to talk about TV news. And we start with um, the surprise hit. Um, I've said it before. When I heard about Doomsday Clock, I didn't want it. When I heard about a Watchmen TV show, I didn't want it. Having read Doomsday Clock and having watched the Watchmen TV show, I was wrong. I'm mad enough to admit it. And HBO say they want more now brad you are definitely the man to talk to i've been reading your reviews i've even linked your reviews to uh my review of the final doomsday clock you must have that. oh cool thank you yes i do um i th- i think that that um going into this hbo wanted to hedge its bets because this was a very very risky prospect uh, it was a sequel to source material that is very uh, revered, but also a sequel that never existed. So it's a kind of adaption that we've never, ever seen before. And, and in fact, it was a sequel and not a direct adaption to source material that, like I said, was revered, but still many people maybe don't know about. Uh, and it just it it kind of asked a lot of its readers that didn't know the Watchmen getting into it and the fact that people liked it so much is just such a testament to the team behind it and uh, you know Damon Lindoff really went into it as a fan and he pulled off what I thought was going to be impossible so it's it does not surprise me that HBO is definitely going to want to do more episodes. And I kind of like that Damon says, yes, maybe we can, maybe I won't be involved because I don't think he's going to do an idea unless it is good and worthy of the name Watchmen. So I say, let him take his time. (laughs) 
And if you hear in the next weeks or months down the line that, hey, there's going to be a second season of Watchmen and Damon Lindoff is going to be behind it, then you can pretty much be guaranteed that it's going to be good. So I I like the hesitation, but I really do hope and I think that they will eventually figure out something to, you know, some way to bring it back. And I just hope that he does get inspired with a new idea. And he did kind of say that he pitched it kind of like a true detective, like an anthology series. And just personally, me as a fan, I would love for the next season to talk about what happened to Dan and Night Owl. And, you know, what like nobody really talked about him other than the owl ship. So I don't think he got a fair shake. So I want next season. I want to see what happens with Dan Driver for sure. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Ah, the hive mind. Without echoing, without saying resistance is futile, without giving in to the compulsion. Uh, Brad, you're you're really spot on. This was a great sequel that really did a wonderful job of adhering to the source material. There were so many moments that each character felt like they had been brought to life from the page just further down the timeline. And because of that, it felt so easy with this show despite what I felt was a really interesting take on what had been the original narrative of the book and introducing some newer ideas that really flipped so much of what we thought we knew on its head, but then also made it so much more compelling through the characters who were telling it. Not only that, but the fact that, sure, as a true detective, as a Fargo, makes all the sense in the world, Yes, I would love to hear more about Dan Dryberg. I mean, we get the idea about the owl ships. There's references made that the police modeled their designs on his. Where's the history behind that? Where did he go? Why did they have these versions of it? What did he share? How much of that might have had to do with the fact that Hollis was, a, you know, a former police officer? You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, so what much. What happened with his relationship with Laurie uh, from the end of the book? I mean, this is so much. Yeah, there's there's huge. Not only that, but the series ends with a perfect opportunity, if you want to, to pick right back up from that or to reference this possibility of what a new take on a character might be and, and how that future could exist moving into the next levels of the story or come back to it in another chapter. There were a lot of threads that were laid out there. With just that sort of understanding of, hey, we're telling this story, but those pieces are there, man. All you have to do at some point is pick them back up and follow the thread, and you're going to you know, have a wonderful story. So a great new cast. Um, there's uh, so many other potentials that exist within what we know about the characters who made up uh, the original Watchmen story. And, and where we could go with just one or two different groupings, maybe one from this previous, you know, now previous series and, and the future one. I'm also intrigued, though, by this idea that there's a, there's a certain part of uh, Damon Lindelof that's saying, boy, every idea that I had went into this season of Watchmen. Like there's a <laughs> there's there's a lot, you know, of admittance going on there. You know, he's basically saying, I didn't hold anything back. Everything I could get into that I wanted to for this story, I put into this. Do another one? Okay, well, that's going to be a process. And like you said, Brad, if he if he has that great idea, that amazing creative spark, and he can turn around and pick up the phone in six to eight weeks and go, hey, guys, so I've been thinking about it, and I didn't think, and then I thought, and here we are. 
what do you what do you say to this? Or somebody else could come along and just say, hey, uh, hey, Damon, I want to do something. But, you know, hear me out. Tell me if it fits. And if he's like, you know what, that's better than anything I've come up with. Let's talk about it. And maybe that'll be enough, you know, emphasis for me or inspiration for me to come back later. So the fact that the doors open in so many different ways, I'm sure Steve has plenty to add as well, my friend. What do you think? Uh, Absolutely. This series just literally blew me away. And I was very vocal when it was first mentioned in saying, oh, really? I don't know. But I don't know about you guys, but Watchmen is something I read and reread frequently. And every time I read it, I get new ideas. I get new inspirations. Things pop up in my head that I never thought about before. But I will say that none of the ideas that Damon Lindelof used in this show were anything I'd even conceived of. Yes. And he yes. was totally, totally out of left field, but totally true to the source material, totally respected the source material. And that is what, to me, elevated the show because it could have gone the other way and been a complete train wreck. But I could feel the love for Watchmen in every frame, in every line of dialogue, and in every character on that screen. And that's, to me, what elevated it and what made that show what it was. Um, so I just think all you need to do is go back and reread Watchmen again and a million more ideas. <laughs> yeah, I just want to add that, Steve, I, I do that too. That is the one book that every few years I will reread. Have to, and yeah. Times, uh, and, it, and it always, and I love it every bit as much as the first time that I read it. And, y- you know, and you are absolutely, you nailed, you nailed it. What I thought too is the fact that all of his ideas, I never in a million years would yeah. I have gone in that direction. And that's one of the things that blew me away about it. And I kind of, uh, sorry if I'm going off on tangents here. No, so no, Watchmen, I, you know, yeah, I but, love this. This is, this is what, what fuels me. I love hearing this. <laughs> but I think that doing an anthology, using up his ideas is really good because that means that he has learned from making Lost. Because I think, yes. in my opinion, the thing with Lost is that the mystery got so diluted because they wanted to keep adding episodes and seasons and more characters, and it lost its focus. And to a lot of people, it kind of fell apart in the end. But you keep each season of Watchmen as a contained story, you never have to worry about that. And that was a brilliant thinking as far as the execution of how to set up that first season. So hats off to uh, to Damon Lindov for pulling that off. Oh. Totally. I mean, Lost literally got lost because they tried to egg it and milk it and squeeze everything they could out of it. The the anthology format is genius. If they decide to go down that route, it will be huge. And there's so many ways they can go. I mean, look what they did with Hooded Justice, for God's sake. I mean, yeah. they completely gave him an origin which totally fits with what we read in the book, but is totally different and and completely away from what we saw um we can still see mothman dollar bill the original minutemen of america uh, we can see like you said we see laurie and the minute she appeared on screen i just thought hang on blake she's taken her dad's name mm-hmm. where's dan you know all of those thoughts just just blew me away i mean that series i do ad- admit most of my stuff digitally now but Watchmen, 
the minute that's available on blu-ray i am yeah. buying it yeah. end of no questions yeah. asked and following on from what you both said with dan dryberg night owl both of them were two of my favorite characters in the original book and doomsday clock did the same thing um laurie wasn't even in doomsday clock and neither was night owl until the very final issue uh Guys, if there's anyone out there who hasn't read Doomsday Clock 12 yet, please fast forward the next 60 to 90 seconds because OMFG, um, Dan Dryberg, Laurel Jane, uh, their daughter, Sally, awesome, Mm. are going to be raising that world's Clark. The Watchmen universe is getting their own Superman. Oh. (laughs) Oh. It was really quite lovely. I, I'm going to be honest. I, yeah. I don't. I don't read Watchmen as often. It actually falls into this category, much like uh, American Beauty. It, it. I have to. I have to have enough space between each viewing. Watchmen broke my heart the first time I read it. It. It really. I mean, I got what Alan Moore was saying when he wanted to do something so. You know, he did something that you can't you can't look away from once you've seen it. And once you have, there's a part of you that, that can't ever forget it. Like it, it, it's like when I try and watch regular star Wars, the first trilogy, and I've already seen the family guy parodies. I find myself quoting the family guy lines during the original classic. And when it comes to, you know, to the way that I experienced Watchmen to the way it sort of got to me, it, uh, it's one of those ones where I have to have enough time between reading because it was really it was tough when I had finished that series. I I thought to myself, how am I supposed to look at comics the same way? How am I supposed to read these stories with the same sort of like wide eyed possibility? To me, it seemed like there had always uh, been these dark shadows. It reminded me of that great intro in the collected edition to Identity Crisis that Joss Whedon gives. And he says, look, a great writer doesn't come in and drop a bomb in the middle of a universe and then you know, show what everybody does, takes a look back into history and in that moment identifies something that changes the way we look at every moment from then to every moment now. Um, and and that was where I really felt this this version of Watchmen did. It as you guys said, it looked back to Hooded Justice and it said, What if we change one thing? What if we change something very important? Now what if we take all the history that goes with that change? There. Try and look at the story the same way again. And you never can. It's it's you know what I mean? It's it's stunning when someone has the ability to do that. Watchmen the book did it, now Watchmen the series did it. I'm just hoping I'm able to come back and watch the series again a little more often because sometimes I'll pick up the book and go, No, you're not ready, dude. Put it back down. Put it back down when you're ready. Don't don't force it, don't rush it. If I'm gonna sit down and read it, I wanna sit down and read it. I don't wanna be interrupted. I want to read it from cover to cover, and then I want time to process because there's a part of me that is going to feel very emotional and each time a little bit differently about where the strength of that emotion is coming from. That was my own tangent. Uh, I I love the book. I love everything it does. But in order to experience it and to, to be true to myself and not just gloss it over, I have to accept that there's a part of me that will not leave the book just because I close it. I have to like keep unpacking for a while and that to me is a testament of amazing storytelling i feel yeah. like someone else is chiming in <laughs> mm. 
I just I, no, I remember reading it for the first time probably when I was maybe 12 or 13 and looking back I think it left such an impression on me and still does to this day because it was the first piece of art that I experienced that was about something I didn't know what you know I, I but it was the first time that I was like this is this is deep and I don't even know why and it kind of kind of changed my mental DNA on how I approach stories, I think, ever since ever since discovering it for the first time. You guys are, are the best. You really are. And I'm actually a little bit jealous of the two of you because, if I'm not mistaken, you probably um, went straight into a collected edition of Watchmen, right? Yes. Yeah, because... Yeah, then put yourself in my shoes, um, being there when the issues came out, um, supposedly monthly, but nah, they didn't come out monthly. It wasn't quite as bad as what happened with Doomsday Clock, because not much is, but um, they they were <laughs> delayed and they, they were held back. And um, reading that episodically was torture. It was absolutely because mm-hmm. it was changing the game issue by issue. As, as that book has changed the game for comics. And I honestly do believe that that TV show has changed the game for comic book TV shows. Um, mm-hmm. It's literally taken a book which so many people, as you quite rightly said, Brad, revere. I mean, I said in my review for Doomsday Clock 12 that it's bordering on a sacred text for me, Watchmen. But I, I, I was fascinated by what you said, Seth, that sometimes you pick it up and then you think, no, 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 you're, you're not ready. Watchmen is one of those books I can pick up start something thumbing through and then three hours later i'm still sat there and i'm reading the thing again mm-hmm. it just draws me in and like i said every time i read it another bomb goes off in my brain and to see a talent like lindelof um have his own bombs exploding in ways i, I never thought they could just made that a, a fantastic viewing experience I, i'm sorry i could talk about this all night absolutely one thing that i loved also what daniel did is of all comic books watchmen used music in a very interesting way you know the way that he would alan moore would quote song lyrics and things like that it, it felt like married to music and the use of music in the series was very similar like he got that same and i can't put my finger on exactly what it is but things like that, his use of music was so good, like the music from Oklahoma in the first episode uh, made me think of that musical differently now just because of the way he used it in in Watchmen. Um, it was just, how, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, Steve, like, like you said, I don't know how he came up with those ideas. And setting it in Oklahoma, of all places on Earth, Oklahoma. <laughs> Brilliant. And of course, I mean, you know, as you get deeper into the series, it's, you know, it had a lot to say on race. And because of that race riot that took place, that massacre in 21, it makes, you know, which was real, something that actually happened. Yeah. yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. But it's just, it's just, yeah. And I do, I think it changed the game with uh, adaptions going forward. I think it's, it's going to be a blueprint for new ways to interpret source material and build on it. When you get a TV show, and this is the simplest idea in history, and I cannot believe that no one else thought of it beforehand, of having the police be masked 
crime fighters was just inspired mm-hmm. and it's it's brilliant if the police are in danger they can't protect their families they put a mask on and here you go you've got masked crime fighters who are part of the system who are deputized officers of the law enough said like i said like i said brad we could probably talk about watchmen either comics tv shows <laughs> yeah. or whatever forever so i'm going to make we a management do, decision we should have a watchman podcast on the uh, do you know what listen um i've got two recruits already let's get kelly on board as well and the fantastic four can start the new weekly episode i'll tell you what a watchman podcast would run it would have more legs than the human centipede i'm telling you that right now it would work and we could talk forever case in point but we won't. <laughs> Let's move on and turn to something we touched on earlier. Uh, Mr. Brandon Routh as Superman, something that made me very, very happy. Because, again, uh, it's one of those films that wasn't very well received by fans or critics. But everyone will agree that Brandon himself was fantastic. And uh, This article says that he hesitated. He was not on board straight away to reprise the role. And that he says this will be the last time. Brad, what do you make of that story? You know, this article kind of put a smile on my face because, I mean, let's face it, as much as we love Crisis on Infinite Earths and the CW shows, they're not Shakespeare. really? It's something that you wouldn't necessarily (laughs) need to put that much heart and soul and thought into your character. And and I'm not taking anything away from those shows. Those shows are great at what they do. But the fact that um, he thought so deeply about how to approach that character, and if he should, and wanting to really be respectful, I I think that says a lot about uh, both Brandon Routh and, once again, the legacy of Christopher Reeve. and the character Superman in general. Seth, what do you think? Well, I really appreciate the fact that he was so thoughtful about doing it. You know, it was such a challenging period for him to recover from the bad reception of that film, and then to find his way back as a DC character and really have a lot of fun taking on a serious and then not so serious Ray Palmer. But returning to a character who, in many ways, you know, should have defined the future of what his, you know, jobs and acting opportunities would have been, became something that he had to go back to and figure out a way to bring what was important about Superman to life in in the uniform, in the suit, one more time. I'm really impressed by the way he approached it. I'm really impressed that he had the fortitude to to take on something like this and to understand what it means and to have the right mindset, it sounds like. You know, the idea that it was the final time that he wanted to get off the phone with Mark, consider it, think about it. And then if he decided to do it, he had to do it knowing that there was a finality to it. And I really appreciate his recognition of, okay, I didn't get all I wanted out of it the first time. So if I'm going to go back, I have to go back in knowing that this is what I'm going to do and whatever I want to do or don't want to do isn't as much about how will I do with the opportunity I'm given. And I also like the fact that he gets to take on this Kingdom Come style version of Kal-El to know what that tragedy is like, because 
in many ways, it, it wasn't a happy experience for him when he did Superman Returns. And to return to the character, there must have been, you know, some sort of, you know, degrees of difficulty because of how it was received. So I really liked the way this approached him, and, and I thought there was a really important value in, in understanding what it was like for him to go back to, to something that probably wasn't his favorite experience, especially not with the, the reception that it got. But because he was able to go back to it, he was able to create that own closure for himself and provide a, a bit of a, a return for the rest of us who thought he did really quite a nice job and simply needed more support in order to turn it into a, a great movie in, instead of the, the movie that we got. Steve, what was your take, my friend? I actually think that he initially said, no, I, I don't want to play Superman again to Mark Guggenheim. But then Mark showed him his IMDb picture and frightened him into taking <laughs> the role. And Strong possibility. Happened. No, no. All joking aside, um, like you both said, he clearly has a lot of respect for both Superman and for Christopher Reeve's uh, portrayal of the character. And he put a lot of thought into it. And that makes me respect the guy. He didn't just take it and say, oh, yeah, I could be Superman again. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be Superman again. Yeah, yeah, Superman. Because a lot of people would say, listen, do you want to be Superman? Who's going to say no to that job? But he thought about it long, deep and hard. And like you said, because of the experience he probably um, had first time around. And that film gets a bad rap. And this is what really bugs me about comic book fans and comic book movie audiences in general. This was clearly Superman Returns, a continuation of the Reeve-style Superman and feel. And it got slated and ripped apart for trying to do something that was old hat. Why didn't they move on? And yet a few years later, along comes Henry Cavill in Man of Steel, something that goes completely the other way and brings a darker, real-world tone to Superman. Oh, no, this isn't Superman. This is too dark. This is horrible. He doesn't crack a smile. What's going on? Listen, audiences, make your goddamn minds up. Um, yeah. What do you want? You're always going to seem to be in a place these days where you're going to anger half of your yeah. audience, no matter what. So uh, it's, it's, I it's a yeah, can't win. You can't win. So I credit Brandon Routh. Well done, sir. Um, you'll be sorely missed um, because obviously he's leaving Legends of Tomorrow uh, along with his wife who plays um, um, Dark's daughter. I forget her first name momentarily. Um, so kudos. Uh, respect. He's he's a lovely, lovely guy. Having met him, on the, met him a couple of times on the comic book circuit and the conventions. He's a lovely, lovely man. Uh, a talented actor and I personally love him as Ray Palmer and as Superman. He was a brilliant Clark Kent. And I don't hate Superman Returns. Uh, I'll quite happily sit down and watch that. Well above watching Superman 4 or Batman and Robin, I'll be quite honest. Hmm. So um, good luck to you, sir. And thanks for putting so much thought, love and investment into the character. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Agreed. So moving on with our TV news. And we... Stay with the crisis on Infinite Earths and the possibility, again, this one made me smile, especially after seeing um, Constantine and Lucifer face to face on screen in episode three of Crisis on Infinite Earths. It just made me so happy. Just that whole 
British back and forth banter of listen, they're insulting the hell out of each other, but there's still respect there, and it was a beautiful thing to see. Um, possible Constantine Arrowverse spin-off? Uh Brad, what do you make of this crazy story? I I would love to see that. I mean, I it's obviously probably never gonna happen, but I would love to see it. But really, I would really like to see another shot at a Constantine series. And I think it was on maybe NBC when it first came out. And, I, you know, kind of the acclaim that he's gotten in the role since then, they're probably kicking themselves for canceling it after 13 episodes. Um, yeah, I just I, I really like him as Constantine. And I, I thought they had good chemistry, him and Lucifer. It would be a great like buddy cop show kind of thing going on i would love to see it even though it's probably never going to happen and did you guys not love the uh kind of back and forth about how to pronounce his name that that was such that was such good fan service that was great great. yeah so seth what do you think i think this is a really fun story that highlights just how great that that scene was the banter the you know just Clearly, two actors, well aware of what their dialogue means, well aware of who their characters are, just having a bit of fun, and the writers who got to play with it. For all the fans who watch it, it's a great moment that, you know, as Brad wisely pointed out, reminds us of all the great things that the Constantine series that was canceled had the potential to be. I loved so much about it, um, you know. I was really disappointed that there were so many things that could have come out of that, whether it was, you know, Jim Corrigan eventually becoming the Spectre or getting a chance to see what the war in heaven was like. I mean, there were so many wonderful things there. And then to connect it to a character like Lucifer, who found Second Life on Netflix and potentially wouldn't mind a third one as a buddy cop or buddy scenario show or opposites trying to do whatever they need to do with Constantine and Lucifer in a spinoff, I I really think most people would go for it. You just got to find the right platform and, you know, make it something that's well-written, that we enjoy, takes advantage of the best parts of both characters. Steve? Yeah, what you both said. Particularly when it comes to Constantine, Um, Lucifer, as you said, his second lease of life on Netflix has revitalized that show. That most recent season was actually the best season in the show's history, as far as I'm concerned. And I've loved all of them. I've watched it from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And Tom Ellis is fantastic in the role. But that, like you said, that banter, that camaraderie, that back and forth with the name, the thing that all fans did when the Vertigo comics first came out, it's Constantine, it's Constantine, it's Constantine. No, it's not. And just seeing simple little things like that was just brilliant. But as you both also said, why in the name of heaven was Constantine, like Swamp Thing, cancelled after only one spectacularly good season? I sat down and rewatched Constantine, and it's actually, again, better on second viewing. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, the animated series was nice. The fact that he's reprised the role in Arrow and then in Legends of Tomorrow, we need Constantine back on TV. If he gets guest appearances every now and then from the devil himself, fan fantastic. If they decide to go down the buddy cop route and make Lethal Weapon go supernatural, fantastic um jim corrigan has made an appearance now in the crisis on infinite earths and i do believe we're going to see another specter um fantastic 
there's so many ways they can go forward. Hey, listen, we've had a Legends of Tomorrow TV series. Why not a Justice League Dark TV series? Uh, hey, sign me up. You know what? That's I'm okay with it. As long as they don't do to it what they did or what NBC did with uh, Constantine, which was they put it on at like 9 p.m. on a Friday. Or was it 10? It was some god-awful time slot in the middle. It was just a really – you could tell they didn't want it to succeed because they put it there. And I thought to myself, who do you want to watch this? Like, come on. Honestly, who do you want to watch this? Because you're putting it on at a terrible, terrible time for it to try and gain any traction, you know, as far as any audience would be concerned. And if they do it right. It's the beauty of streaming services. Where yes. Chip whenever the hell you like. Exactly. And, and that's why it's done so well on home video and on streaming services. Um, sometimes scheduling I don't know who decides on the scheduling, but some of these people need to be shot. Um, But, hey, it's in the past. But hopefully, with his appearances, he's got a future. Agreed. Yep. Oh, good. No, 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 no. We're we're with you, buddy. We're in silent, you know, solidarity. And then it was spoken. And then it was spoken. One thing about podcasts, guys, the listeners can't see you nod. But I'm doing it so vigorously. Can't they hear my my? Can't they hear the cord shaking around? Or no, no. I need to wear a bell. I should wear a bell. So that's the end of the TV news. While we go get our cogs fixed, um, we'll have another quick break so that people can learn more about all the wonderful shows available on the DC Comics News Network and to learn how to get some money off your tickets if you decide to go to any wizard world comic con around the u.s we'll be back soon i'm gonna go find a bell first there was the dc comics news podcast then came the spinner rack and now the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff i just mentioned i am the knight A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Ping, 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 ping. (laughs) I'll take one of those. I'll have five. And we're back uh, with uh, what started it all and what made us all do this in the first place. The wonderful source material known as comic books and a couple of great, great stories this week. First of all, um, the gorgeous, gorgeous little preview of the new Wonder Woman graphic novel, Diana, Princess of the Amazons. I want to grab these characters and cuddle them. Brad, what did you feel? Yeah, yeah, I really like I really like the designs. And I I really like how DC is having so much fun with their characters at this point and really using creative ways and new ways to try to get a bigger audience Uh, and just the design that's going to appeal to a younger audience. It's just it's it's nice to see. And it's a good way to get people into the character. The movie's coming out. I think that Wonder Woman's going to have a pretty big 2020, obviously. So, yeah, this, this looks like a lot of like a lot of fun. Seth, what do you think? 
This was one of the smartest things I've come across. I mean, so often it's these unexpected projects that really amaze me and delight me at the same way. This looks so lovely. Diana, Princess of the Amazons. She's 11 and she has an experience that so many people who've gone into comic books can relate to. They're an only child or... Maybe more importantly, they've got siblings, but they're too young, they're too old. uh, There's a gender age difference, something that, that, you know, complicates it. But the story of what it's like to be a child who just wants someone to play with. And, you know, she's got aunties and the mother, but I love in the preview how she sort of, you know, like the acorn and the tree, follows her mother's example and takes that little bit of sand and clay and says, what if I had a friend? And great possibilities stem out of this. Also uh, fertile ground for great storytelling about responsibility, lessons, you know, things like that, and the learning that goes with it. But such a smart approach geared towards, I, I can only imagine, really excited audiences and and something I hadn't considered before, but really loved the idea of once I've had a chance to check out this preview. How about you, Steve? Absolutely. Um, and what a character to use. I don't know if it's the same in the US, but following Wonder Woman's appearances from Batman vs. Superman in her own film and even in Justice League, the amount of passion and interest I saw from young girls wanting to see Wonder Woman, get Wonder Woman merchandise, be Wonder Woman, read about Wonder Woman, just really, really spiraled. It, it, ha- it was something that happened here quite in quite a big way. And again, people knock the DC movies and the DC shared universe, but one thing they got right was made sure they had a female-led character movie that was brilliantly made and passionately made by a talented filmmaker a wonderful leading lady and some incredibly talented people behind the scenes and brought out that fire and inspiration to a whole new generation of comic book readers and and females female comic book readers and it was brilliant because again my wife isn't that big a fan of comic book movies she loves star wars not so much the comic book stuff but she loved wonder woman and she said yeah Marvel should really make a female-led um, superhero movie. Why haven't they? Why didn't they make one with, with Black Widow? She was amazing in Iron Man 2. And I'm nodding and agreeing with everything she says. I said, yep, they really missed the boat. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, after Black Widow's appearance in Iron Man 2, people were saying, yeah, she should get her own movie. And Marvel said, no, we don't feel the time is right yet for a female-led superhero movie. <laughs> sure. Okay. That's bitten you on the butt now because while people knock DC movies, no one can knock Wonder Woman because it was fantastic. The sequel's coming out soon. I am counting the minutes. And this little comic, this little graphic novel with those beautiful, cute designs, which remind me of manga I grew up with and anime and even Tintin in places. The designs are just gorgeous. And it reminds me of the young Diana in the Wonder Woman movie beautifully portrayed by that child actress and seeing her make uh, a friend for herself because she's the only kid on the island again it's just one of those brilliant little ideas that i can't believe nobody's thought of before and 
I wouldn't have considered honestly picking this up probably if I hadn't seen this preview. So DC's marketing team, I'm impressed. Really, really impressed. Uh, guys, anything else to add to that? Just that it's really smart. Can't wait to see more. And when you were talking about that wave of passion that seemed to follow the announcement of Wonder Woman and all the young girls who seemed so inspired, I'm immediately reminded of that video that was really, um, really widely shared. And it's a young little girl. I mean, she couldn't have been more than maybe five wearing a Wonder Woman outfit. And she's approaching the signing table where Gal Gadot is, is sitting there signing. And she wants to impress upon her how important it is for her to be Wonder Woman, how she wants to be Wonder Woman. But then she's facing Gal Gadot and there's sort of that recognition of like, I'm playing dress up, but that's the person who became the character. And there's this great moment where you you look over and, uh, oh God, I'm forgetting his name, but you see the young man who played Flash. Um, God, it's just totally escaping me. I can't remember his name. Um and then you also see Ben Affleck, and they're both sitting there looking – Ezra Miller, thank you. Um, and they're both sitting there watching this young girl approach the table. And the way she's, like, bawling up in tears at this idea. And there's Gal Gadot in that great moment going, but honey, look at you. You are Wonder Woman, right? We all are, aren't we? Isn't it any woman who stands up? And she just started slipping right into all the best virtues of the character. And it was such a, for me, just a recognition of how much it meant for that little girl. And I can imagine any other little girl who put on that, you know, Wonder Woman outfit and thought to themselves, what can I do? What can I stand up for? What can I fight for? And Steve, you really tapped into something when you were saying that. I I really do remember the wave of emotion and the response that so many young girls had when Wonder Woman was announced and then later when it was in theaters and how many were inspired afterwards to say, what would Wonder Woman do? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Brad, did you experience any of that? Uh, no, no. Uh, not really. Uh, um, yeah, not necessarily. But um, obviously, great little preview. Fantastic yeah, yeah, character sure. to use it with. And a great, great idea from DC. And I'm loving all the little previews they're doing and trailers for the comic books. It's just very, very clever marketing and tapping on something that fans can really latch on to. So our final comic book story of the day. Again, it's something we touched on briefly. um, And it's the return at last, finally, of the Justice Society of America thanks to this whole new incredibly genius idea of not just a multiverse but a metaverse where every story you ever read actually happened it just happened to different aspects of the characters any story you love if you think it happened it happened and the very fact of Superboy being Clark Kent again inspired by the JSA caused their return and the existence of Clark Kent to Superboy inspired the return of the Legion of Superheroes. I love it. Brad, um, tell me your thoughts, my friend. Yes, I, I love having uh, having the JSA back. I hope and I'm sure they will get their own series or miniseries uh, in the coming, you know, coming year. I'd be happy to see that, especially with Stargirl coming out and things like that. I think it's 
think it's time for the uh, JSA to have a resurgence. So I'm all for it. And I love the idea of the the metaverse. I think that's such an interesting way to handle continuity when you have characters that are 80 years old. Uh, it's it's a it's a pretty brilliant idea. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Huge fan. Um, I really enjoyed recently in the uh, Justice League series where characters are sent through different parts of time, future, past. And when Flash and Green Lantern show up and meet the Justice Society, and they're like, we don't know who you are. And they're like, that's great, son. We don't know who you are either. And there was that great disconnect of, of that lacking history and then how later through Doomsday Clock, now that history is restored and also through this concept of the metaverse. Um, I'm always going to remember the way the Justice Society just had this wonderful feeling to them when I opened the pages. There was something so classic about their designs, their ideals, their foundations. I can't wait to see these characters come back in whatever way they do. And I think it's an important time because it's clear that there's going to be a lot of relevance for upcoming films like Black Adam and others. So why not get their foundation restored back within DC comic books so that the rest of us can enjoy them as much as, well, as much as I love to remember and am looking forward to doing again? Yeah. How about Just you? Just as a side. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what you said. They were DC's first super team. And the fact that they've been forgotten about and left on the shelf for so many years, in a way, I, I find it a little bit insulting to characters who led the way. And, and if you remember, Superman was an original society member, but obviously because he has to stay fresh forever, um, he was pulled out of uh, out of their story. But with this whole idea of a metaverse in one reality, which is real and did happen he still was and the fact that they're back and just seeing those costumes jay garrick's flash will always be one of my all-time favorites i love alan scott as green lantern as you said stargirl amazing timing with her tv show about to debut wildcat ted grant um he helped train batman he helped train black canary one of the greatest fighters in any dc universe he's back our man all of them uh, johnny thunder what mm. I am just happy, happy, happy. And I'm just as happy with the return of the Legion of Superheroes because growing up, um, those were some of the books that made me fall in love with comics and the characters that made me fall in love with comics. The JSA and the innocence of their history, their years, their adventures, which were simply that, four-colour comic book adventures, the latest villain they had to smash, the latest war they had to win. And it was just a time of fun of when comics literally just pick one up, read it, and just be transported to a different time and place and enjoy yourself. And I think we need to have more of that of comics again. Like we've always said uh, in many episodes of this show, get kids reading comics. And I can't think of a better team to do it with than Justice Society. And DC are great at that. They've got books for all ages. The whole new um, Wonder Comics line, fantastic shazam the wonder twins uh the naomi. young justice naomi and she's part of young justice now awesome yes. yeah <laughs> so many ways to... there's either the way that young people of all different ages are kind of absorbing literature is 
has changed and DC has managed to stay right with it and is keeping up beautifully with all these different takes on these characters and things like that. It's just, I think that they're going to really be ahead of the game and getting people to, to, you know, getting young people to read their characters and get interested in the comics. Mm. And such a rich history. You know, when you were talking about Jay Garrick's uh, flash uniform, not only do I absolutely love it, but for some reason, always standing next to him, I see Alan Scott, who I swear has to have the most elegant Green Lantern costume ever brought it, if not superhero costume, ever brought into existence. The high collar, the lantern, his boots. I swear to God, Alan Scott's <laughs> boots, they're like Hawkman's. There's something just so cool about them with the color tone and the striping. I mean, I'm just like... Come on, man. Like someone put so much thought, someone put so much care and elegance and it's regal in so many ways. There's this amazing quality that comes from all of these characters and and everything they embody. And Steve, when you're going through the list from Wildcat all the way down through Our Man, who, man, has one of the best hooded costumes you're ever going to see. And it's yellow. How does a guy pull off yellow? You know what I mean? Like... That's awesome. That's just, yeah. I, I I love I love the fact that we've got the Justice Society back again. I I can't I can't wait, and uh, I'm gonna be gushing a lot, and I'm okay with that, especially because I shamelessly talked about Alan Scott's boots, and I'm willing to keep going unless you stop me. <laughs> you should stop me. You should stop me because well, I happen to rescue. have it on very good authority <laughs> that both Our Man and Alan Scott's Green Lantern costume were designed by a time traveler from the 21st century, uh, and chap name of B. Filicky Esquire. Full <laughs> comic book uniforms, and he actually went back in time and 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 made these designs because he was sick of the slacks that some kids were wearing, and all they really needed was a nice pair of jeans. Wow, what a great time, uh, Brad! I can't wait for out. you to come up with this. The secret is out. <laughs> now all you have to do is build the time machine and go back in time and make this oh, all happen Rick Hunter for us. Bequeath this time machine to Brad because of his um, skills <laughs> in in the arts of design and fashion and. The Wave Rider is actually Brad's weekend car. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> we got to go cruising. Just one yeah. weekend, all I ask for, one weekend. Yeah. Take me to see the dinosaurs, please, Uncle right. Brad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that was lovely. Next yeah. weekend. Oh, no, it's Christmas. After Christmas, after Christmas. <laughs> Take me to see Santa. <laughs> no, listen, readers, listeners, uh, people who like podcasts, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm no, not, I'm, I'm not. I'm loving every second of it. Exactly. So what a great story to wrap. <laughs> absolutely. But I, I do want to say, obviously, it's the end of the year. Um, we, we are going to have one more episode this year, I do believe, hopefully, um, next. Oh, no, next week and all would it be next year, won't it? Next. Well, by the time it goes up, it'll probably be next year, but it'll be it'd be recorded like right at the tail end. Officially, as this is the last episode we're recording in 2019, I do want to get some ideas from you guys um, about possible gifts that comic book fans should be wanting to get their loved ones and highlights of 2019. Brad, you go first. Uh, I think as far as gift guides go, I think the hardcover. Uh, Heroes in Crisis, the hardcover um, 
first part of Doomsday Clock for sure. And the really nice hardcover of Deceased that came out not too long ago. I think all three of those would uh, make some good gifts. And also there's a, back to the Watchmen, there's a Watchmen companion out now uh, that has, uh, it reprints an issue of The Question where he reads the Watchmen and imagines himself as uh, Rorschach. And there's all the pages from the Who's Who. Remember those source books back in the day? Yeah. And uh, a, it's a kind of a collection also of some role-playing, like the DC Universe role-playing uh, uh, game. It has like certain campaigns based on Watchmen characters, and it has all that information in there. So for the Watchmen fan, I would definitely pick up the Watchmen Companion uh, for sure. It's got a lot of cool stuff that hasn't been reprinted before. And highlights of 2019, uh, you know, definitely seeing Doomsday Clock continue. Um, I, I'm really, really enjoying the giant issues more than I thought I would. Um, I'm having a real fun time reading those. That was kind of a highlight. Uh, I love seeing the Legion uh, come back. Uh, I loved uh, Heroes in Crisis. Um, I feel like I can go on. Um Crisis on Infinite Earths was definitely uh, a highlight that will continue on into 2020. Uh, and of course, Joker. You can't really talk DC in 2019 without talking about the about Joker. So, Seth, what about you? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I'll start out with the fact that I I recently picked up the Heroes in Crisis hardcover, and that's a that's a great. Uh, addition to anyone's collection and I, I think a really great experience for anyone just looking to have a, a new take on comic book storytelling and also uh, a, a really great reflection on the history of some of these characters and and really it's 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 a <laughs> it's one of those impressive stories that also becomes one of my highlights of 2019 uh, anything else to add to the uh, gift collection? I would definitely agree with you, Brad, that the uh, part one of the Doomsday Clock, um, I would say, I think there's been at least one, if not two, hardcover collections that are collecting uh, segments of Tom King's Batman run. Can anyone confirm for me on that if there's one or two books out this year? Maybe not. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now because I've seen volume collections and i can't remember how they're being spaced out throughout 2019 but i would highly recommend if if you know someone who is interested in that or you believe this would be a great collection to or a great addition to their collection those would be something to look to pick up and if you need to please go back and get the earlier uh chapters so you have as much as possible to to offer i would also go with the fact that i've heard a little bit of conversation going around as far as the gift guiding about the uh, Lego 1989 Batman or Batmobile, sorry, 1989 Batman Batmobile. And there's been quite a bit of talk and at least one of the members of our review staff putting one together, I believe, as we speak. That's certainly one that they've uh, sung some praise about and the images look phenomenal. Um, for your younger readers i would consider uh, a couple of books worth looking into we talked with cami garcia about her raven book i think that's a really smart one that's uh worth considering i don't think they've collected naomi yet yes otherwise 
They did. So yeah, I would I would look for that as well. I think that's just a a beautiful story. I, I think that's a really smart example of how you can have an original character who is young enough to bring in audiences from all ages and also a great way to begin a story. Highlights of 2019, boy, uh, it would have to be the amazing original content that came out from things like DC Universe, whether it was Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing. Oh, yes, uh, yeah, I forgot to was... mention that. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, and it's funny because I was going to mention the Raven book as well, so I'm glad you talked about that. But I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> my, my pleasure. Also, there's the uh, Spiral Swamp Kid, which I think was a great addition as well for young readers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just also DC Universe more recently, I caught the first episode of the Harley Quinn animated on DC Universe. It is really smart, really funny. It's clearly not for kids. It's definitely. <laughs> I've never seen a cartoon that was so much not for kids. Right, right. I mean, aside from like, you know, Family Guy and American Dad, in which I have to like be aware of who's in the room, should I choose to put that on? Um, but Really, I, I think what DC Universe is, is doing for us between all of the content it's offering, not only the classic stuff, but the original and new, that's, that's been such a wonderful highlight. It, it launched at the end of last year, and it, it's really proven itself this year. So I was really amazed, not only by Swamp Thing, but um, all the other original content it was offering. And it's looking to offer us, and also by continuing strong with a great season two for, for Titans, um, Really, just to stand out, Joker was one of those moments when we saw that a DC comic book movie can be regarded as high art and brilliant comic book storytelling in the same breath. And we're really lucky to have that as part of the things that we can watch and appreciate when it comes to great stories. Um, I think... I think the only other thing that, that would probably be a highlight for me was that wonderfully heartwarming story celebrating the original television Batman and the, the city in Washington, his hometown, the way they just embraced this. This is our guy. This is our our Batman. Adam West will always be Batman. And this great celebration they had. It was one of those really wonderful stories I love talking about with you guys. And it was so much fun to share and so much fun to almost feel like you were part of because of all the things they were doing. Steve, what do you got for us, friend? Absolutely. Great year. It's it's the end of a year. It's the end of a decade. And DC means a lot of things to a lot of people. And for me, this has been the decade of comics, the DC decade, without a shadow of a doubt. Because even though um, it, we might have started off with some stuff that wasn't received that well, possibly this year in particular, with Joker uh, and with, like you quite rightly said, everything that's come out of DC Universe, DC are back on the map in a big way. And that just makes me very, very happy. In terms of the gift ideas, Brad, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the Watchmen Companion because not only is that collecting some stuff that's never been collected before, this was a prequel to Watchmen This is actually Alan Moore approved. So if that's not reason to pick this up, I don't know what is. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to be grabbing that myself um, without mm -hmm. any shadow of a doubt as I will be picking up 
the complete collective edition of Doomsday Clock, even though I've got all 12 now. Uh, so many other great books, Deceased, you both mentioned, and the fact that that's getting a sequel early next year as well. Great, great stuff to read. And comics are for all ages. Yes, Naomi's got a collected edition. Pick that up for your kids. And if you want to give something to somebody who wants to get into comics, the DC 100 page giants, which are now finally available in the UK and in comic book stores, not just Walmarts, pick those up because they're telling two brand new stories in every issue and collecting some classics from your favorite characters. Batman, The Flash, Batwoman, Supergirl, Swamp Thing, The Crisis on Infinite Earths is getting a two-issue 100-page. And for five for five bucks, they are a steal. A hundred pages worth of comic book greatness, which you can give to your kids and any kid aged nine to 90. Pick those up. 2019 has very special memories for me because I've been on a brilliant podcast with you guys, with Kelly, with Joshua, with Joe, who we miss, um, and speaking to everyone on Slack from the DC Comics News team, all my uh, colleagues and friends at the Dark Knight News website too. This year has been, honestly, I can say this hand on heart, one of the best years of my life in terms of friendship and career and you two guys are a big part of that so i have to thank you for that yeah i think i want to thank you guys too because i i think that having this podcast for a whole year has really made me appreciate dc even more um because you know covering these stories makes me want to go out and read the books and things like that and and, uh because of this podcast i don't think i've been a bigger dc fan than i than i have been over the past year so uh, thank you guys for that for sure and a shared thank you as well, and really appreciate you bringing it up, Steve. This has been one of my biggest highlights for 2019, meeting with you guys every week, sitting down to share great stories, being inspired by all of our different takes on it and how it changes the way I look at things, inviting me to consider things from new perspectives and the reasons behind why. It's really been just a, a really wonderful experience, and I think it's one of the reasons why we've seen so much amazing growth from this podcast, from what it's meant for all of us contributing and for the team as a whole. So thank you guys. Absolutely. And kudos to the man who started it all, Joshua. We need to get you back on this show, brother. You edit it every week. You cut out our mistakes or several levels of insanity that should never make it to any podcast in the world. So thank you for that. And uh, Damien, for running both sites, thank you to all the writers. Um, We love you and keep on doing the great work. So that being said, this has been another episode of the DC Comics News Podcast episode 51 you can catch us on apple podcasts on google play stitcher and everywhere else you find podcasts dc comics news and dark night news are available all over the internet and on social media from tumblr to facebook to twitter stitch and youtube you can catch us everywhere search for dc comics news at dc comics news capital d capital c o m i c s capital n e w s at dknews.com for the batman uh, heavy website which i am uh, editor-in-chief of and chaps brad seth where can the world find your work my friends uh you can find me on twitter flicky b1 uh, and you can read my reviews and news on DC Comics News. 
And for me, you can find me on Twitter as the number one and more singleton. That's one more singleton. You can find me elsewhere, such as at DC Comics News, writing reviews. And you can also catch me on a weekly basis uh, recording the Spinner Rack, in addition to meeting up with this fine group every week on the DC Comics News podcast. Where can the people and find And catch you? all our shows. Oh, yes, you can find me everywhere. I'm trying to take over the world like Starbucks, as I've said before. You can catch <laughs> me just by doing a Google search for Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes at DC Comics News and on DC and on Dark Knight News as well. Twitter, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O-L, Stevo. And that's everything from us for this year and this decade so thanks everyone for listening uh but brad seth people out there should be doing something what is that read more comics haha catch you next year people